Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being, reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Server Member Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Das, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. In this podcast, Krishnadas shares his warm-hearted and down-to-earth path to the divine. If you are interested in supporting Krishnadas's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/kd. If you're locked in a dark room, and you've never been outside that room. You don't know, it, might, it never occurs to you that there's a way out. You're just in the room, in the dark. And then the light might come on for one second, on off. And you see there's a door in the corner of the room, which you never saw because there was no light in the room. But even if the light goes off again, you're going to find that door because you know it's there.
That's the position we're all in right now. We're locked in a dark room. The light went on at some point in some lifetime for one second. And we know there's a way out of this. And we're looking for that. What it's like outside the room, there's no way to talk about it. No matter how many books you read, or no matter how many books might have been written outside that room, they don't make any sense to us at all. They're in some other language. We may read those books and think, oh, wow, that's what it's like. Nope. You can't think your way out of a room or a prison that's made of thought. See, you're thinking. You can't think your way out of this prison of thought. We're thinking all the time. Emotions come and go all the time. We don't know what it's like without that. It seems natural to us, and it is. That's who we are. The only way to affect some kind of switch or change on the whole situation is through practice. Some spiritual practice. A spiritual practice is a practice that you do for no good reason. <laughs> you don't do it to get fame, to get food, to get money, to get a partner, to get a good car, get more hair, less hair, bigger body, shorter body, taller body. You don't do it for any reason like that. It's because if you have some motive for doing a practice, there's no way you can let go of the thoughts. You'll always be thinking, this is going to get me what I want. So there's nothing wrong with the things we want. Nothing. But when you want to be free more than you want the things you want, it's a different situation. We don't even know what free means, right? This is why Buddha came out of the jungle and said, Hey, monks, stuff sucks. Stuff doesn't make you happy. He said it's the first noble truth of suffering. Meaning, actually the word dukkha isn't suffering. It's, it's a quality of unsatisfactoriness. Life is never going to be enough, as it is. Because it's just, it's our thoughts, our emotions, and our imaginings recreating the same stuff over and over again. You think the next person you meet, you know, that's going to be the one. Until you see they don't wash their underwear. And then it's the same ball game again. You pick the same kind of person again. So we keep doing that in one form or another. And there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that it doesn't work. Buddha said, nothing wrong with it. But this is the nature of the way things are. And we keep coming up against that and getting unhappy again and thinking that we failed. We're no good at life. It doesn't work. 
But really, it's just our own stuff recreating that same situation. The only way to free ourselves from those, those patterns is a practice. Because you do the practice, you let go of any, everything, moment by moment by moment. We're singing, you might be thinking about something, ah, come back to the chanting. And that ability to release yourself from the thought over and over again creates a, something inside that's very different in quality than we're accustomed to. And only you know. Nobody can give that to you. Nobody has to give it to us. We have it already. That's the joke. We're looking, we're looking, you know, they always, in India there's always the story of the musk deer who smells this beautiful scent and is wandering around looking everywhere for it. And it's in his own belly button, his own navel, the musk. And that's the same with us. How many colors are there? Red, orange, yellow, blue, green, indigo, violet. There's seven colors, right? What if you woke up one day and all of a sudden there was another color? Right? Today, you can't imagine what that would be like. Another color? What do you mean another color? Everything we see is made up of these colors. And all of a sudden, you start to see another color. When Hanuman jumped over the ocean and found Sita, Ram's wife, he saw that even though she was separated from Ram, physically, the color of Ram permeated her. There was something else there other than the physical reality. And actually, Sita and Rama are not two different people. And neither are we, ultimately, different. We all have that other color of... Well, what, what can you call it that doesn't turn somebody off? God? Nah. Horrible word. Love? That's better. Might be closer. But it's not a love that comes and goes. It's who we are. But we don't see ourselves. We see the external world through the senses. And anything that's perceived through the senses is simply some crazy version of what's really there. So when you chant, don't try to make something happen. Okay? Just do it. When you notice your thinking, or imagining, or fantasizing, or moping, or whatever we do in our heads, just come back to the chanting. That's all you have to do. It's too easy. It's just too simple for us. We're too complicated. We're moving too fast. Which is why it's good to do retreats and weekends and places where you go where you're, you're temporarily removed from your regular life patterns. Where some of the stuff of every day is not there. And you can kind of settle down a little bit. If we did this every day for a week, I'd be dead and you'd be enlightened. <laughs> Now, if we did this every day for a week, 
more and more of our daily clinging would, would release, would relax, and we would be sitting more deeply in ourselves. And, you know, lights don't go off and sirens don't sh- sound and, you know, you just feel better. Which reminds me of a, of a story which really happened, the story of Buddha. And this story is in a, in a book called uh, Going on Being by a friend of mine. He's a Buddhist psychiatrist named Mark Epstein in New York. And it's a really incredible, extraordinary, simple, but ultimately amazing story. And it's the story about Buddha just before he became enlightened, before he recognized the the true nature. He was doing very, very hard practices, yogic practices that were taught in that time. And he had gone to see all the teachers who had anything to teach. And he absorbed everything they had to teach. And he was doing these practices. He was maybe taking 10 breaths a day, right? Eating almost nothing, living on air. And it says in the, in the sutras that he was, you could almost see the light through his body. You could see his bones. He, had, he was emaciated, and he was doing this hard tapasya because this is what was taught would get you where you wanted to go. But he had the... Um, he was in a karmic situation where for millions of lifetimes he had done severe and extraordinary practices and practiced compassion and giving and caring and kindness for millions of lifetimes. So he had a capacity that was deeper than these practices could take him. These practices took him into states of mind which were extraordinary, far beyond anything we can imagine. But ultimately, those states of mind were temporary. And Buddha didn't want anything that was temporary. He wanted the real thing. So even though he had achieved extraordinary states of mind and consciousness, he had the capacity from his previous births to recognize that this wasn't it. So he was in great despair because he couldn't do anymore, nor was there any other teaching available at the time on the planet. He was almost starved to death. When he knelt down to take a crap, he fell over and he couldn't get up. If he scratched himself, his skin came off. I mean, he was serious. We meditate 10 minutes a day and we think we're hot shit. This guy was serious, right? He wanted this more than anything. So, and don't think he didn't have things. If you know his story, he was a prince. He had everything. Everything you could imagine. Every enjoyment, every kind of food, every kind of anything you wanted, he had. But he had this inner thing that was telling him something's wrong here. Something's not right. This is not enough. So he was in the jungle 
and he was sitting under this tree, and he, he, he was doing these practices, and he was in terrible, terrible despair. I mean, it's unimaginable, his state of mind. Then, as he was sitting there, he, a memory came to him of when he was a boy. And at that time, he was with his father in a field, and his father was working in the distance because his father was a king and his, had a special little field that the king, that he plowed himself as a part of uh, like a sacrificial rite, a special uh, exercise of, of uh, dedication to the kingdom and to the wellness of the kingdom. So the young boy was sitting, Gautama was sitting under this tree watching his father plow the field in the distance. And as he was sitting there at ease, he entered a very deep state, a state of extraordinary simple happiness. A feeling of well-being came over him, or actually he entered into this feeling of well-being, very deep just naturally, without any effort. And then things happened and it passed and then his life went on. So while he was now, many years later, sitting under this tree doing these really hard practices and suffering terribly, the memory of that moment came back to him. And he began to feel joy. And he got scared. Because joy wasn't in the program. Simple happiness, not this kind of joy. Just simple feeling of okayness, okay? Which is what we're completely cut off from. So we don't even know what we're talking about here. So this feeling of okayness and all rightness and simple well-being came over him. He remembered that and he got scared. So being a Buddha to be, he looked at that feeling of being scared. And he found out that this feeling had no cause. It wasn't caused by anything. In other words, you look at a pretty painting and you get pleasure, right? So that painting, seeing that painting is the cause of pleasure. You eat some nice food, it tastes good, gives you pleasure. You step on a tack, it gives you pain. So, Those are causes of things, causes and effects. He went into this feeling and he saw this feeling had no cause. It just is. If it just is and has no cause, it means that there's no end to it. Causes become effects, which become causes. You step on attack, then you take the attack out. So first there's the pain, then there's the release from the pain. You see something nice, it gives you pleasure, it goes away, you feel bad. This is cause and effect, cause and effect. It goes like this, like this. But he looked at this feeling, and he saw this feeling had no cause. It had no beginning. So also it had no end. And he said, maybe through this feeling of well-being. Maybe this is the way to enlightenment. 
And then he said, maybe I should eat something. And then a woman walks by with some kheer or dahi or something like that. And he puts his hands out like this. And he eats something. And he had five disciples who were sitting there watching him do these practices, waiting for him to become enlightened so they could get some. And they saw him eat and they said, oh, this guy has left the path. Let's get out of here. And they left. But Buddha, having realized the direction that he had to go in, he realized he needed to keep his body strong. Without a body, you can't get enlightened. You can't do anything. You can't even watch TV without a body. It's very difficult. I've tried it. So, he said, maybe this is the way to enlightenment, through this feeling of okayness, of well-being, which he found inside of himself. So then he wandered up further into the jungle and sat down under a tree, which is now called the Bodhi tree. It's in a place called Bodh Gaya in India. And he sat down and he said, this is it. I am not getting up until this is finished. And then ultimately he recognized his true nature and became recognized his enlightenment. So the problem is, the situation is, that being born in the West into this kind of a culture that we're, and into this world at this time, most of us are completely cut off from this feeling of well-being which is a natural feeling. Natural it means it's who, it, it's who we are. So we, we live, we die, we do all kinds of stuff, and, and we're, not, we're, we're doing everything except looking at ourselves and finding this place of well-being within us, which is all we have to do, which is what every true spiritual practice is moving us towards. And it's kind of important to keep that in mind. Because if you keep forgetting that, then we keep doing stuff for the wrong reasons. Now, when I say wrong reasons, I just mean reasons that aren't ultimately going to bring true happiness. Like going to yoga, asana practice to get the best butt in London. You know, you might get the best butt in London, but that's not going to make you ultimately happy. But if you recognize why you're doing practice in the first place, then it moves you, you move more easily in the right direction. And you can't understand that direction We can't know what that's going to feel like until we feel it. And we can't feel it until we break the obsessive, compulsive attachment to every thought and feeling that we have. Because that's just screwing us up all the time. And the only way to do that is through practice. Locked in a dark room, we can't imagine what it is outside. Seeing seven colors, we can't imagine what it would be like to wake up one morning and see eight colors. Because everything we see is made of seven colors. 
our most romantic fantasies about what happiness can be like, either with a person or with ourselves, are conditioned. They're conditioned by our own stuff. There is no possible way that can bring true happiness. I'm sorry. I really am sorry. Because I've tried also every day of my life. And it, it just, those, that bill of goods we've been sold doesn't work. And the only way to find it is to do practice. That's the good news, even though it sounds pretty horrible. So the good news is if you do it, it happens. If you don't do it, it doesn't happen. That's the bad news. So you have to do it. And you don't have to do it, but your own longing for love, for real love, will lead you to that sooner or later. Real love means love that is not, it's not a give and take. It's not like, I'll do this for you if, when you do that for me. and then That's a relationship. That's different. That's between two things. Relationship is between two things. Love is not between two things. Love is everywhere, everything, all the time. I was once very much in love with somebody, and well, more than once, but... I was telling my Indian father, Mr. Tuari, about it. And he was, oh, he was listening, he listened, he listened, he listened. And then finally I stopped and he said, my boy. He said, relationships are business. Do your business, enjoy. And he didn't say, don't do your business, you see. That's the key. Because we're so neurotic, we're going to take all this as being negative. But it's not. He said, do your business, enjoy. But love Love is what lasts 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. It doesn't come and go. It isn't given from one person to another. That's affection. That's companionship. That's tenderness and kindness. Those are all good things. Caring. That's wonderful things. Compassion. Loving. Caring. That's all wonderful. But love doesn't come and go. It's not given or taken away, you see. If it's, not give, if it's not given, that means it's also not taken away. No one can take away love. They can take away attention from you. They can stop liking you. But love has nothing to do with that. But because we don't love ourselves, we're always trying to squeeze it from someone else and get a few drops to drink. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get so heavy. But it happens. It's all going to be all right. Believe me. Sooner or later. Because the lights have gone on for us. So we, Why would you be in this miserable room today? If the light hadn't gone somewhere for you. Right? So, whether this means anything to you right now or not, that's okay. Mm-hmm.